This episode will be all about the tokenization of IP rights and I'll have a guest. Isa Eschenach will join us and talk about herself and her ideas on the tokenization of IP rights. Have fun. Welcome to The Blockchain Lawyer, a podcast on technology and law. Dennis Hilleman is an accomplished lawyer with over 13 years of experience and a passion for creating a better future through blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive innovations. All statements expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the host and his guests only and are in no way legal or financial advice. And now, here is your host, Dennis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of A Blockchain Lawyer. And today I'm going to have my first guest on the show. Her name is Isa Eschenach, and we did an interview over Zoom on her views on IP tokenization. She wrote really good Medium articles on that, and I hope you'll enjoy it. And yeah, whenever you want to be an interview partner and have some great ideas on blockchain and law, let me know, and you can be a guest just like Isa. Have fun. All right. Hello, Essan. Hi, Dennis. Hi. Cool to have you on the Blockchain Lawyer. Thanks for you for joining. Thank you for having me. And how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm, I'm doing very good. You know, it's the busy holiday season, so a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, but I guess yeah. that's the same for everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen my advent calendar for blockchain? Yes, I've seen it, and see, so we're already in the topic. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit. Tell our listeners a little bit about it. Okay, so I, for this particular year, I would like I wanted to do something special for uh, my connections on LinkedIn, also for my blog readers, um, and I created an advent calendar for only blockchain, but it includes more legal topics than uh, technical topics because I mean my background is legal. Um, so I included some podcasts that I like to listen to, which includes yours as well. Oh, thank and, you. <laughs> you're welcome. And some other articles about uh, token economics, um, research on data protection and blockchain, some uh, news from uh, Liechtenstein, for example, they had a new legislation this year for blockchain, also the legislation of Wyoming. So I'm just giving kind of little summary of um, 2019 for blockchain. So I think it would be useful if you, I mean, if you uh, would like to follow and um, at least revise uh, this year in terms of blockchain. I think it's a really cute idea and probably very helpful for everyone interested in legal topics. Where can the listeners find your advent calendar? Um, I have a blog on medium.com, so the the link is medium.com slash at SNR. It's my name and surname uh, written all together. And then on my last post is about my advent calendar, so they can uh, just check it from there. Yeah, so we expect everyone to follow SNR on Medium from now on, uh, as I do. And uh, so... Very good. We had a start with that, and I like that idea. So you already told us a little about yourself, but please, would you share your background? Because I think it's a really interesting story. Okay, so I'm a Turkish lawyer, 
And uh, just two or three years ago, actually, I decided to get specialized in IT law. And this is why I came to Germany for my master's studies, then went to Norway and uh, completed my master's studies in IT law. And during the studies, I heard something which is called like smart contracts. And it's, it sounded really interesting to me. And I always liked contract law classes during my bachelor years. So I was like, mm, this idea is interesting and I would like to explore it. Uh, and I chose it as a topic for my master thesis. And I analyzed smart contracts from uh, the perspective of European contract law principles, which, uh, also call, which are also called Lando principles. This is uh, actually an attempt of the European Union to harmonize contract law. And I chose that legal text because first I was doing my studies in Europe. And secondly, um, this compilation of contract law uh, was also including um, the contract law principles from France, from Germany, also from the UK. So I didn't want to also exclude the common law uh, system. And in the thesis also, I gave some uh, examples from Swiss law because um, especially Turkish Swiss, uh, civil law is uh, heavily based on civil, uh, civil law. This is why I also use that. And I really like the topic. This is how I started to get more into the blockchain space and started to discover the space more and more. And the more I read about it, the more I liked. And then I completed the studies. Um, and since January, I'm more, I changed my perspective a bit. I started to learn about finance law as well in Germany, especially. And now my scope, my legal scope uh, on blockchain law is getting expanded. Oh, wow. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, what, what made you leave uh, Turkey for, for Norway? I mean, that's a huge step, isn't it, from, from Turkey to Norway? It's actually like first from Turkey to Germany, then from Germany to Norway. Um, oh, okay. Um, how yeah, how yeah. come? May, 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 do you want to share? Yeah, I mean, this, is, uh, this was because of my master studies. So I chose um, the master's, master program, which is called ULISP. So European Union, uh, I don't remember the, uh, the exact name, but it's ULISP and it's offered by Leibniz University in, in Hanover, in Germany. Yeah. And the program requires, for this, it requires students to spend their second semester in another partner university. And Oslo, University of Oslo was one of them. And the specialty about Norway is that if you follow, uh, I mean, if you choose to go to Norway, then you will entitled to get another master's degree in a year. Wow, okay. Yeah, so yes. that's why I wanted to um, go to Norway to get extra, extra but at the same time, um, the institute in Norway is the, uh, I think, is the second center for computer law in the world. So I really wanted to also learn, uh, I mean, benefit from their um, knowledge, accumulation of knowledge. Wow. And um, so tell us a little about the program. Like, are they really that advanced? I don't think there's an actually like such a good program here in Germany from my understanding. 
I mean, this program, uh, ULISP, is, I think I it's quite good. I mean, um, but it could be much more diverse, of course. Uh, the What I saw, uh, at least from my year, is that, uh, I mean, I followed the uh, course, I mean, the, the studies in 2018. So um, the 2018 was a special year for IT law because GDPR uh, would get into force. So our courses, at least in the first semester, was um, I mean heavy in content of GDPR and data protection. But in Norway, I could also learn about cybersecurity, e-commerce, and again data protection. But the percentage of data protection was less. Um, so I think it's a good combination. But in other um, universities, partner universities, I know that some of my friends, they went to um, Queen Mary University in London. Uh, some of them went to the University of Thessaloniki. So they had different types of courses there. So I think it's up to you uh, and what you would like to specialize on. And with your choices, I mean, according to your needs and your I mean, vision for your future, you can um, choose uh, one of the partner universities. Cool. And now you're back in Berlin, from my understanding? Yeah. Uh, from Oslo, I went back to Hanover to finish my master's studies. Then uh, since January, I'm based in Berlin. And I, for, for everyone listening to this, I, I met um, Eshan for the first time uh, in person um, on uh, November 26th at the um, blockchain and privacy event that was organized by Jan Apgut. And I was like, uh, I, was, I knew quite a few people there and I was like wondering, okay, should I introduce her to them? But she already knew quite everybody there. And so she probably could have introduced me to people. Um, how did that come? I'm just an extrovert person. <laughs> I think this is how this happened. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's so interesting. Like, there are also some other. There were some other people who asked me, like, "How do you know this person? How do you know that person?" It's just, I don't know. It became my second nature right now. Like, and even a friend of mine, he's uh, he's not a lawyer, but he's an engineer, and he told me that. Oh yeah, yesterday I met a lawyer in this particular event. Okay, what's her name or his name? And he told me the name. I was like, okay, I know her. Like, and uh, he is a business partner of this person, and they're doing this and this. So, <laughs> I think that it's a bit crazy for many people that I know a lot of people in this space. No, it's. I mean, it's just like uh, nobody probably expect that at first glance that you just like know so many people because, um, like it's just not common to know so many people quite away. I mean, from my understanding that you're not so long in Berlin yet and already you're connected so, to yeah. so many, that's super impressive to me. No, thank you. But I also use the power of internet. So I also make connections on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and also and if I find an opportunity to meet them in person, I meet them in person. This is actually how, I, how it happened with you too. Like we were connected on LinkedIn at first, then I learned that you were coming for that particular event and we met there. Yeah, that's very true. Like, you're, you're so right. The power of internet sounds good. Like, I mean, it's so easy to connect, but I think most people on the internet, they just like throw out their own content and don't really care about the content of others. And therefore, they don't connect actually much with people. Of course, there's quite a few people really cool in connecting. Mm -hmm. 
but like so many people are just like throwing out the content and then like, uh, are, um, I don't know, they, they just wonder why nobody cares because everybody's just throwing out the content. And to me, it seems like you're totally different. You have a totally different approach there by connecting with people, by doing stuff like the advent calendar that shows, uh, that highlights the content of others. So that's a good way. Oh, thank you. I think it's also um, how I like how how the blockchain ecosystem is different than other um, other ecosystems. Because I, whenever I attend to a blockchain event, whether it's legal or technical, I just feel a sense of community there. So, like I don't know, I haven't seen or experienced such a community feeling in other um, environments, so so to say. So. This is why I'm also I also care about the community and other people in the space and try to give value. I I totally agree. The community um, feeling is quite awesome. Like because it's a new technology and we'll be, it feels at times that you're like a revolutionary thinker in this community that nobody outside this community really understands what you're fighting for. So I guess the community connection is really strong because you meet people who care about blockchain, the whole idea about blockchain as well. And then you connect, then you have a common ground to connect quite easily. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. So we already know that you like the community about blockchain. What else do you like about blockchain? Um, I think it's the um, most useful tool to um, make current functionalities effective, I would say. Like, what do I mean by that? I mean that blockchain gives us some tools to um, improve some processes which we are struggling with right now. Like it might be um, in terms of like open finance, for example, the concept of open finance. And if you think about Bitcoin um, technologies that um, everyone can get a wallet, everyone can get you know Bitcoin as long as they have money, of course, and they can actually transfer, they transfer P to P, right? Like to, to another person without demand. So, so I think it's, it's, it removes some inefficiencies in the in the environment, and this is why I find blockchain technology pretty interesting and fascinating. Um, also, um, in terms of legal procedures for contracts, for example, I mean I don't think that um, smart contracts can be used as uh, contract automation tool like uh, other legal tech softwares, but I think it can be used to um, improve the steps between the transactions. So, so this is why it's also gives it's it's also a useful tool uh, for us. So this is another thing that I like about blockchain. I totally agree, and of course we could like talk about the advantages of blockchain for a long time, but. What I wanted to uh, talk about with you today, um, except for your quite impressive uh, CV so far, uh, is that you wrote articles on Medium that I quite like about the tokenization of IP rights. And I would really love to talk about you with that. And you did a series of free articles. And the first one is starting with the 
basics on IP right. Um, would you like to share a few things about IP rights from your point of view? What are they? Uh, I mean, you don't need to to read us the Medium article. Just give a good general summary before we then head into uh, the blockchain technology. Mm -hmm, sure. I mean, this idea of uh, post block post series actually um, came from a meeting, another meeting during Berlin Blockchain Week. I met um, a CEO of a Swiss-based company, and I, when I asked him the his struggles, his legal challenges. That um, at that time he told me that they're now trying to find a solution about how to tokenize IP rights to uh, create more liquidity uh, for these assets, and this this challenge was interested interesting to me, and I I wanted to research it and delve into it. Um, so this is how it's. I started to write about uh, this tokenization of IP rights. And the first one, as you said, it starts with a um, small introduction to IP rights because, first of all, I didn't want to bore my, my legal details about IP rights. So I just gave a um, general uh, like introduction of IP rights. So. In terms of intellectual property, I mean, IP stands for intellectual property rights, but sometimes it stands for industrial property rights. But I think the title, the general title that we use is intellectual property rights, and it has some divisions. So the first division is copyright. So when, for example, we are now, I mean, you are producing this podcast right now. Uh, so it's actually protected under copyright. Or when you write a book or blog post, these are all under uh, protected under copyright law. Yeah, all the industrial property rights, which are, uh, I mean, the, the major ones actually are um, patents, design, and trademarks. There are also utility models, but the utility models are not in every jurisdiction, I believe. Um, so I didn't want to focus on that in my blog post. So basically. Well, in my introduction, I uh, wrote about the differences between trademarks, patents, and designs, so what they protect. So trademarks protect distinct signs of a product or a service, whereas patents protect technical innovations and processes. And designs protect industrial designs. And these three of them, the three uh, rights, should be... Um, Actually, you don't need to register those rights in order to use it. Yeah. But if you'd like to um, have a monopoly over your innovation, uh, you have to register it. So you have to apply for trademark or patent or design to the, juris to the, to the registry or to the patent office of your jurisdiction to ban third parties to use your innovations or your... Um, I mean, distinct in science or science or industrial designs. Yeah, very true. And I think it's it's a topic that's super important. Of course, um, many businesses um, know about that topic, um, but I'm working a lot with research institutions and uh, higher education institutions, of course, universities. And at, at times, we're really not so much aware of what they have to do. So basically, regardless of blockchain, the knowledge about IP rights, how to protect them, and what to do with them is very important, uh, especially since there's a new 
law in Germany. It's called the Geschäftsgeheimnisgesetz, the, mm -hmm. business, the business secrets law. And to gain protection over your business secrets, you must take measures to protect them. And yeah. so um, it's, very, it's very right that you highlight that you must do something to protect them, to use them fully. But, okay, so that's, that's a topic of interest to you. And then you look into the tokenization of uh, pay, patents and IP rights. Would you like to share your insights about that with us? Sure. Um, the reason why I was so focused on patents was that um, the, that particular company is active in drug development industry. So in this you know, pharma industry, patents are uh, used uh, more than, I don't know, any other um, intellectual property rights. So uh, this is why I was, I stayed focused on patents. And um, the intellectual property rights, even though we have uh, some uh, international agreements, for example, for patents, we have patent cooperation treaty. Yeah. Um, and um, for the European Union or for the like European continent, I must say, because it includes uh, other member states, which are not EU states. Uh, it is called European Patent Convention, for example. On uh, again, on international level for trademarks, we have uh, Madrid Agreement concerning the interna international registration of marks. Uh, also, a protocol relating to the Madrid Agreement. And in the European Union, there is a regulation on um, European Union trademarks and designs. So we have like since every jurisdiction has its own trademark and patent law. I mean, industrial um, property rights law or intellectual property, uh, property law, uh, rights law. Um, there are some um, attempts uh, of harmonization uh, of the processes um, on the international level. So this is why it causes a lot of uh, like difficulties um, on, to, to protect these rights on the international level because, because yeah. once you protect that right in a particular jurisdiction, it's only, it's only protected there. But there should be other mechanisms that you can use to protect your um, innovations or let's say your rights in another jurisdiction. So these kind of treatment, uh, treaties, they actually make it possible for you to protect your rights in other jurisdictions as well. In some cases, it gives you a right of priority, which means that when you apply for a patent, for example, through patent cooperation treaty, um, and if there is someone else who applies for the same patent, then you can always object to that person saying that I applied it first and I have a right of priority. So these treaties um, give some useful tools to um, make the protection much more efficient. But still, especially for patents, if you think about the application phase, first of all, you need to discover if your innovation is patentable. And it may not be patentable in every case. And this patentability criteria also depends on the jurisdiction. Maybe you can have a patent in Germany, but maybe you cannot have, uh, have this patent right for the same innovation in Canada. You don't know, you don't it. know it. Okay. So there is a 
there is this disharmonization of the rules. So as an applicant, you need to first know it. And secondly, you need to know which jurisdiction you would like to protect this patent. And then according to that, you need to check the um, forms of the related uh, patent office and you need to find out the form that you need to fill out. This is also this also requires a know-how because there are some additional criteria or conditions that you need to um, meet. For example, you need to know how to draw your innovations in a very technical way. So you 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 just need to get additional uh, somehow support from um, a patent attorney, for example. So. Once you discover that your um, innovation is patentable and you fill out the forms, then you need to um, pay for the application fees. So all these three things are actually already time consuming and not very cost efficient because if you don't have experience, then you probably, as said, collaborate with a patent attorney, which means that you're going to pay for that attorney as well. Yeah. and. I, and I know patent, patent attorneys may take a lot of money, take a large, like because there are not so many of them that are so specialized. From my understanding, what I witnessed in my uh, professional career so far, they're pretty high paid lawyers. Yeah. So this is, this is one of the obstacles that we need to overcome. I mean, if you have a startup, then you have to think twice to apply for a patent or not. And once you applied for it, then there is a, procedure of waiting for the patent and there is also this also includes a period of um, um, where, where where um the patent uh, office actually publishes your you know like your application so that if any applicant if any other company um, or any right holder has an objection to your application then they can object your application so, and this this also extended the period uh, of your of time to have a, to to be granted a patent. I mean, if, I mean, if you if you face with an objection, then of course you need to either take down your application or you need to change it. So there are some uncertainties in that. But in the best case scenario, if there is no objection, you wait. A, almost like 18 months i think in many uh, in many jurisdictions this is 18 months and then you get you you wait and you you grant a patent but then this patent is only yours for 20 years so after 20 years you cannot say anyone to stop using your innovation basically yeah okay and I- I mean, 18 months is a pretty long time for a startup um, if they can't do anything with it, right? Exactly. I mean, it, it's. I mean, because I, as far as I um, know, and from my own experiences, that I mean, startups want to use their innovation as soon as possible to monetize it because they need to. Um, I mean, they have limited budget. Also, they uh, most of them they they require or they're. Um, interested in getting investment so they need to secure it as soon as possible and 18 months is such a long time okay so i understand we have a long waiting time we have a complete uh, we have a complex procedure we have different um legal uh, rules applicable uh, regarding uh, considering which country you want to go to 
and it costs a lot of money and it's like it's a time of high uncertainty so basically what do you think how could blockchain now play into this i mean i also thought about patent tokenization i think it's technically can it is doable like you can probably create a patent baked token but then i thought okay there is there are some challenges in this first thing is that even though you know in pat patents and trademarks um i mean any rights which are dependent on the registry when you transfer th those rights to someone else when you assign them to another party you have to go back to the registry again and you know make the um necessary application to let the registry know that you have assigned those rights yeah so, makes sense so in patent tokenization okay maybe you would like to assign those rights to sell the token to someone else and the transaction can happen on the blockchain right away for sure but then as long as you don't go to that registry to the relevant registry and say that i assigned this patent to that person or to that company that transaction, transaction is valid. valid so this is the first challenge that i've seen about patent organization and the second challenge is that depending on the software or the web application or the platform it's not always uh, possible that you know the other party of the transaction and, and yeah. you need to know that identity uh, to assert go to the registry and make the assignment of the of the rights so this is the second challenge um, and the other challenge i thought is that um since patents are valid for 20 years um, there might be some token on the exchanges that you would like to actually buy, but what if that patent is very close to the expiration? How are you going to deal with it? Yeah, very true. So basically from what I understand is that you're very doubtful that patent tokenization, at least with the current legal rules on uh, patents, Uh, it seems that patent tokenization is not a very, very big use case for blockchain. Is, is that right? I find it very difficult um, to tokenize patents on the blockchain right now. Okay, that's fine. Do you know if any startups are still looking into it, though? Um, I know that one startup, I mean, the um, whose CEO I talked about, the talk, talk with, um, But other than that, but they, they have a different approach on that, actually. Um, because in my research, since I, my background is IP and IT law, I tried to solve or analyze the situation from my own perspective. But a lawyer with a finance law background would solve it in a different way, I, I think. And um, their approach, again, is different than mine. I mean, they, I think what they're thinking of is to kind of um create a special purpose vehicle and somehow make some arrangements um through it yeah but i like it that you um Ashan, that you're very um honest about that because there's a lot of um startups or at least they've been in the past year who, uh, who've claimed that you could just basically do everything on the blockchain but blockchain would make sense in anything mm -hmm. and while i think that this this like hype is over now 
I still see quite a few startup and business ideas dealing with blockchain or saying you put, need to put it on the blockchain where things doesn't make, don't make sense at all. And from what you um, described now here in a very, very understandable way, it seems to me that patent tokenization is not a very good use case for blockchain. But mm -hmm. from what I learned from your third um, uh, article on Medium, it could be different when it goes to like business secrets as such, right? Yeah, this is uh, the conclusion that I ended up after, I mean, at the end of my research is that, okay, patents doesn't, don't seem to be the right tool for tokenization, then how can we achieve the liquidation of these assets? And the thing that I thought um, for, as a solution is tokenization of trade secrets. Because trade secrets, first of all, I mean, let's let's define trade secrets first, so that um, everyone please, everyone can please. have the same idea about it. So the trade secret is actually a valuable piece of information for an enterprise, and it needs to be treated as confidential, and it should give the enterprise a competitive advantage. Um, so, and if you'd like to see it from the perspective of EU legislation, the EU Directive on Trade Secrets um, says that trade secrets should not be generally known um, for, for people and should not be readily accessible to the, to the people who are dealing with the same tasks or business. Yeah. It should have a commercial value uh, because it is a secret. And some re reasonable measures should be taken by the owner of the trade secrets. So trade secrets are, um, this is why they are so important and they give a competitive advantage to a company asset and uh, they're worth, worthy of um, being taken some measures, I mean, to, to, to be protected um, and to, yeah, to, to be protected to to uh, give the enterprise this advantage. So um, the reason why I thought about trade secrets is that um, when you have an innovation yeah, that you would like to keep, and when you think when when you cannot get a patent for that uh, innovation, what can you do about it? I think the only solution is to uh, treat that innovation as a trade secret so that it can stay with you, it can uh, still give you a competitive advantage and maybe you can also monetize it if you uh, at the end of the assessment that financial assessments that you've done. So, so the trade secrets I then, this is why I started to also research about trade secrets and I think that they have some advantages uh, over patents because first of all you don't need uh, any registration to use your trade secrets i mean you don't need to go to any patent or trademark office for that yeah that's true and this is also um and 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 this also brings that there is no registration costs i mean you don't have you don't need to spend money for registration again. Uh, so there is less bureaucracy and more cost efficient uh, than patents. And to transfer a trade secret, again, you don't need to uh, go to the registry so you don't have this complex bureaucracy. And um, so 
you can actually uh, design this transfer of trade secrets on a on a contractual level. So so to me it's to me it's much more, more easier um, compared to patents. Um, and in patent application, when you apply, you need to disclose the innovation uh, fully to get this patent. But in secrets, you don't actually need to disclosure. And on the other hand, if you disclose it, you will lose the value of that trade secret. So this is why um, it's, I think it gives um, more um, like usefulness. I mean, I know that if, if some companies uh, would like to keep it keep their innovation as secret. I think trade secrets are the right tools for that. And the most important thing for me is that patents have this expiration date, whereas trade secrets doesn't have. So as long as you manage it, manage um, to keep it as secret, you can exceed 20 years with trade secrets. Trade secrets. Okay, that's very good and very understandable. But you also looked at the tokenization of trade secrets. Yeah. Let, so put, uh, put out your case. Why should we tokenize trade secrets? I mean, we, with blockchain, I think we aim more of speed and borderlessness of rights, right? So trade secrets are, I mean, they, they seem to be uh, a compatible tool for that. So once we tokenize trade secrets, uh, especially using blockchain uh, technology, there are some advantages in that. First of all, this will match our desire of speed. So as said, there is less bureaucracy, so we, we can actually transfer trade secrets directly and instantly. And secondly, with the blockchain technology, um, we can actually do a timestamp on blockchain. blockchain. Yeah. And, um, this would also uh, be valid uh, according to the, um, for example, AIDAS regulation that the timestamping, when you do this timestamp, uh, I mean, when you register the trade secrets on the blockchain, then you will be able to prove that that trade secret also belongs to you. That's so, a very so good point. I mean, even if you look at the trade secrets law in Germany, which demands from you to take measures to protect your uh, trade secrets. And uh, especially I like, I love it that you mentioned the ADAS um, law because uh, that could actually be a, a pretty good use case to use the timestamp to prove that you, that you identified your trade secret and that you wanted to do something to protect it. Yes. And, um, there is another thing about trade secrets is that which is called a black box dilemma. So the trade secret owner doesn't want to reveal the secret when um, the owner wants to transfer the secret to, to another party, but then the other party doesn't want to buy something 
which is not worthy of buying. So this dilemma is called black box dilemma. And I think it's still valid in the blockchain, um, on the block in the blockchain space as well, because even though you have this timestamp of trade secrets on the blockchain and even though you can prove that that particular trade secret belongs to you, there's still, you know, you cannot still much reveal of the content of the trade secret. So there's, I think, still um, some extra measurements uh, which needs to be taken um, when you transfer or when you license your trade secrets on the blockchain. And this the solution for that in the traditional world is a secrecy agreement, which is also called an NDA. Yeah, of course, and there, and I, I know that always this, it's the same even in the world without blockchain. But you buy a trade secret that you don't know the content of, or don't know how much it's really worth. And yeah, I mean, so it's always like in Germany, you buy the cat in the sack, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, so, how would you like? How you just mentioned it? So you mean that this. Uh, Next to the token um, transfer, you need a trade, you need an agreement still, right? Yes, I think so. I mean, it would be uh, legally uh, more secure, I would say. I would say. Abs absolutely. But do you think that then we would probably need a platform provider um, like a middleman in this? Or how, how would you assume? I know it's just an assumption. Uh, how would you? assume this in, in the practical world to work? I mean, it depends on what kind of platform you're providing, what kind of interface that user is going to see. But at least I know that there is one startup who is, uh, which is um, dealing with trade secret and timestamping on a blockchain, but they are using Bitcoin blockchain. So if you'd like to check it out, it's called Bernstein. Okay, uh, thanks. It's, it's from Munich and they are using Bitcoin blockchain to uh, make a timestamping um, on a set on, on the blockchain, which can be like, then once you, um, it, it's actually a web application and once you upload your documents into that, then you get a blockchain certificate having this hash uh, with the timestamping, etc. And then Within the ADAS, you can always use this certificate to prove that uh, at least the timestamping. And they do that with a Bitcoin blockchain because Bitcoin is very valuable. So there's a lot of trust in a transfer on or in a like a Bitcoin transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain because it will cost quite some money to put it on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Um, they used it because I'm told that they thought about this project before Ethereum launch. So at that time, there was only Bitcoin blockchain. And second, ah, secondly, okay. yeah. And secondly, um, you know, we, there is this um, confusion on Ethereum that, you know, there, there, the Ethereum hard fork was going to happen, but it was delayed. And then um, they, you know, they postponed it again and again. Now it has it's in into force into into force now. So they, I mean, the the owner of the project, the, the Bernstein, they couldn't really trust Ethereum upgrades, and they didn't. They they thought that it's a bit uncertain. So this is why they uh, still use. Uh, they are still using Bitcoin blockchain. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I was just thinking about that because I talked to someone um, from a blockchain community. I'm not going to mention his name here. Um, who told me that he believes that Bitcoin would be one day one million dollar uh, worth because people would use it to timestamp documents and like IP rights, like just timestamp stuff on the blockchain, on the Bitcoin blockchain, and use uh, the Bitcoin blockchain with a very expensive transaction as some sort of Mm-hmm. Like what, what? What a notary would do in Germany, you know? You you put only very valuable things, very valuable transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain, and he and he was like so persuaded to me that uh, Bitcoin therefore would be like one million dollar worth some someday. That just 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 stuck with me. And, and to everyone listening, that's not financial advice. <laughs> yeah, the the that um, I've now seen more and more. Uh, projects on on bitcoin blockchain as well like lightning network for example yeah absolutely totally interesting yeah i mean i was thinking that when i was writing my thesis about it i mean about smart contracts i was thinking that ethereum is the most valuable one but now i see that there are also other projects going on on the bitcoin blockchain i mean of course we've we are seeing more uh depths like decentralized applications and other platforms on ethereum because ethereum is programmable but i don't think that we shouldn't underestimate the power of bitcoin blockchain absolutely agree on that point so um thank you very much for these insights and Uh, for everyone who uh, would like to go deeper into that, please check out Ishan's um, articles on Medium. Mm-hmm. But so, what's next for you? What are you, what are you looking into now? I'm uh, looking into more um, now. Like I'm trying to learn more and educate myself more about blockchain also from legal side and technical side so i'm now for example following a course um on computer science <laughs> so cool so, where where are you doing that i'm doing it on edex.org uh there is a course uh which is provided by harvard university it's called uh, cs50 or something like that but it's it's a very famous course and i'm now following it wow so you're learning more and more and so what's what's your aim in the end what's your aim in the end where where do you see yourself in i don't know three years um this this is an like difficult question because i don't know how blockchain technology will be in three years either so but i think i think i will go Like I, I know that I like blockchain law and blockchain technology as technology. So I will keep learning about it. But now it's pretty hard for me to say that I will be like this in three years time. But all good, all good. That I will keep learning and I will um, keep uh, providing value to the community. Yeah, we. I mean, that's very true. We all don't know what hap- What's going to happen? Like and one year or so so i think that's totally that's totally that's totally fine Mm -hmm. so if everyone like listening to this and you know just says hey uh this young fine woman has a lot of ideas and has a lot of knowledge especially about ip rights and i really want to get in touch with her how can that someone do that 
I'm on Twitter and also on LinkedIn. So maybe we can uh, put also the uh, links of my pro profile uh, under the podcast. Absolutely. We'll absolutely do that. Because it might be difficult for people to understand the links uh, by just listening. Totally. Totally. We will absolutely do that. And they can, and also, they can also have a blog on medium.com. Medium yeah, we, uh, you absolutely, everyone listening to this should do that. So one last thing, um, it's something that I actually copied from Michelle Singh from Laptop Radio, um, which we also met on the 26th of November in uh, Berlin. Great person. We, we couldn't she, actually meet her, right? Again? We couldn't actually meet her. No, uh, Michelle Singh was there. Michelle Fink couldn't come. Oh, it's okay. quite, a, quite similar name, but Michelle <laughs> yeah. Singh. Michelle Singh was the um, uh, lawyer who spoke on California law. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. She's yeah. doing the podcast, um, uh, Laptop Radio at Stanford University. It's a really good mm -hmm. podcast. I could just empathize it to everyone to uh, listen to that too. And at the end of every podcast, she asked um, her, her guests, like, what would you like to tell people? It doesn't need to be about blockchain. It can be any advice from your life, anything you want, just want to share and tell it out to people. Do you have anything you want to share? Hmm. That's a big question, I know. That's a very big question, that's right. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I mean, I wish every industry would be like blockchain ecosystem, which from which we could have this sense of community and do things for each other and, you know, care about each other. Well, I think that's a very, very good wish and we all should take it with you. Thank you so much for being on the show and perhaps in one year we'll chat up again and see what, what came out of all of this in your studies and your interest for blockchain. How about that? Yeah, that sounds a great idea. Also, uh, hopefully one of my articles will be published this month in Legal Business uh, World e-magazine. Cool. It is about legal engineering on the blockchain. So I'm talking about how we can introduce legal perspective when designing blockchain systems and mechanisms. Wow, that would be awesome. I, I'm probably you will link it up on LinkedIn, right? So I'll, yes, I'll yes. see it. As soon awesome. as it's out, I will put it on LinkedIn. Awesome. That's cool. Uh, that reminds me, like, um, I can just share it now. My, um, one of my articles in German will be published this uh, month, too, in Computer and Re Recht, um, Computers and Law, in German, in the December edition. And it will be about Bitcoin and, crypto, uh, and cryptos as property in, uh, in regards of our constitutional law. Does our constitution protect Bitcoin and crypto owners? So that's what I published this this month. But it's not really interesting. Yeah, it's very, but it's very much. It's deep into German constitutional law. You know, I love I love talking about blockchain and constitutional law. So I hit that subject up again, and it's probably not as useful as your um, article that we're looking forward to. Thank you very much. Thank you very much and thank you for your time, Ashan. Please, everyone, reach out to her and like connect with her and stay in touch with her. I think this young woman has a bright future in front of her in blockchain technology and law. So thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me again.
want to learn more about Dennis, please visit his website, theblockchain.lawyer, or connect with him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, everyone. 